Well, Happy New Year. Did you stay up late and watch the, watch the ball drop and all that last night? <laughs> I see the tired looks on some faces, so I know it has to be for some of y'all. Uh, hey, it, this feels really cool for me because uh, last year, um, New Year's, I got to, to speak to you, and I get to do it again a year later, so it's a lot of fun, kind of come back a year later and see how things have changed. Um, and one thing uh, kind of major has changed for me, uh, and I just want to share that with you, and, and uh, uh, in this last year, towards the end of the year, I accepted a new um, a responsibility, and in, in addition to what I've already been doing, um, I've also taken on the title of couples pastor, and I've working um, specifically to try to help us uh, uh, strengthen marriages uh, here at New Springs. So just want to let you know, if, if, you'll take, if you'll let me just take a quick slice out of this morning to, to uh, tell you what we're going to be doing this year for marriages. Uh, number one, we're going to continue on with our new program that we just launched at the end of last year called Synergy. Uh, Synergy is classes that we're doing for married or soon-to-be-married folks um, to help strengthen their marriage. doesn't matter how old you are or what, what stage you're at in your marriage, whether you feel like you're having problems or you're not. Synergy is a place for you. We're just strengthening marriages, and you can come be a part of that. It's a program we've developed here on campus. Um, it's, it's from us, for married couples. We'd love to have you be a part of that. We do it all year long, and just about every month or so, um, there's another place that you can sign up and get involved. If you, if you do it with us, you'll be with us for nine weeks, um, and we'd love to have you be a part. We're, a sign-up is actually open right now for the next session that's going to start in a couple weeks, so if that's something you're interested in, you could hop on newspringsynergy.org um, and check that out and look at signing up. Also, so excited to tell you this, but my, my dad and I consider one of the finest books available uh, on marriage right now to be a book called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egricks. Uh, and Dr. Egricks is going to come and do a live conference here at New Spring uh, in September of this year. Now, I anticipate that's going to be a sold-out event. We want as many New Spring couples as can come to come and be a part of that. So uh, just make plans for that already. It's already something you can sign up for. Um, you can check that out at newspring.org slash love and respect. But folks, we honestly believe here that if Satan can attack the family, he can get just about anything else he wants. And so we're going to be all about this year, we're going to be all about strengthening the family, strengthening couples, and I hope that you'll take advantage of some of the opportunities that we're going to make available for that. All right, I need to get on my horse and ride. Um, last year, what I did when we approached New Year's is I just talked to you about um, kind of, for lack of a better term, my own personal New Year's resolution, something that I was wanting to, uh, to work on in my life, uh, an area I wanted to strengthen. We talked about stress last year. This year, what I want to do is, is do much the same thing. I just want to workshop an idea, something that's been heavy on my heart going into the new year, something that I hope will be helpful for you. As I work with a lot of people and I hear what they're going through and they come and tell me what challenges they're facing, uh, I've heard people tell me over and over again, you know, Jonathan, 2011 was a year of really big challenges for us. It was really, really big things that we faced and didn't really know how to, how to deal with it. And then it looks like 2012 is just going to be more of the same. It looks like 2012 is just going to bring more challenges that I don't even really know how to face. I'm really struggling with knowing how to, how to face a year that looks like it's going to be filled with new challenges. And that's really important to me to think about because, you know, as I look back on 2011, some of the biggest uh, markers in time were some of the biggest challenges I went through. Sometimes we mark time by the challenges that we, that we go through. And so I just thought, well... You know, what is it that God wants me to know about facing challenges in 2012? And if you'll allow me, I just want to share, you, share with you some thoughts about that this morning. But first, got to ask you a question, just to see maybe if we're on the same page. Have, have, you, have, you, have you ever felt like when, when you come up against a really big challenge in life, have you ever felt like you didn't pick this challenge, it sort of picked you? You know, you look at this and you think, man, I didn't ask for this. 
<clears throat> you know, I mean, I've got a lot of uh, couples I'm dealing with right now where a, a spouse has filed for divorce, and, and the, the person who's been filed on is just telling me, you know, I, I didn't go looking for this. I didn't, I didn't seek this out. You know, this is a challenge that I didn't ask for. You know, someone will tell me that they've been through some sort of financial terrible difficulty that was something they could not have anticipated, and they'll say, I didn't ask for this. It just came and found me, you know. And, and sometimes it's like that in life. Sometimes our challenges choose us, you know. And I also wonder, if you ever know what it's like to feel mismatched to the challenge that finds you, you know? Maybe it's just something that's so big, you're like, wow, this challenge is way too big for me. I can't, I can't handle it. It's, it's just too much, too much too soon, you know? Or maybe it's just something you just don't think you're very well matched for, you know? If Bob at work was dealing with this, he could handle it, you know, because he's a financial wizard. He could deal with the financial trouble I'm in. Or, you know, if, if, if Susan from New Spring was dealing with this, I'm sure she would be able to handle it well because, you know, she's a lot more spiritual person than I am or whatever. You know, sometimes you just think, well, I'm just really mismatched to the problem. And if, if you ever feel that way, maybe you can identify with something I feel sometimes. You ever feel a little trapped by a challenge, because it's like sometimes the biggest challenges we experience in life are the ones that have the biggest consequences. You ever notice that? The biggest things you have to face are the things that seem like they have the biggest fallout. And so it's like you want, I've been in challenges in my life where I want to walk away, but I really can't, because the consequences are going to be too big if I walk away. Well, if, if, that's, if that's something you've ever felt, I want to talk this morning to you about four steps to handling any challenge that's bigger than you, a challenge that picked you, that you didn't pick yourself, something that's mismatched to you, but, but that God wants you to take on. How are you going to take on this challenge? And, and if you'll allow me to, the way I want to do this is I want to approach it by talking to you about a very, very familiar Bible story. Um, in fact, if, if you didn't grow up in church, even if you walked in this morning, you've never been in a church before in your life, my hunch is you probably already know the story that we're going to talk about this morning, because we're going to talk about the story of David and Goliath, right? I can't think of any better story in the Bible about somebody who was mismatched to a challenge that was bigger than he was. We're going to talk a little bit about this, and we're going to talk about how he approached this challenge, and, 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 and maybe we'll learn something this morning about how we can approach the same sort of challenges. I need to give you a little bit of background on David. Um, you know, David was a guy who started his life out living below the radar screen. He just wasn't, he just wasn't a guy who was, who was very important to a lot of people. He was the youngest kid in his family. Anything that happened good to his family, he would have gotten the least portion of, and he would have gotten it last. He was a guy with no title, no position, very little importance. He spent his life watching sheep for his dad. And, as, and, and, and what's interesting is if we look at this story, we've got a few cues here that tell us that his dad probably didn't even have that many sheep. It's almost as though they needed to find something to, to get, you know, let this poor kid do, you know. We gotta, he's got to do something, you know. Might as well let him go out there and watch the sheep, right? He was just a guy who, who, who everybody had pretty much counted as being, you know, uh, unimportant. But God sends a major challenge his way. And the thing about it is, something about David, God had always had in mind something huge for David. I mean, here's the deal. Even when David was, was not a blip on anybody's radar screen, God sends the local pastor, who, by the way, was the guy who God would use to designate the king of the country. God sends the local pastor over to David and, and anoints David as the new king of Israel. There's just one slight hiccup there. There's already a king, right? So that's a problem. Um, and, and what's actually interesting, and it's sort of a dramatic irony, David ends up working for the current king in a sort of part-time armor-bearer slash musician gig, right? This is really weird. He, he knows he's supposed to be king. God knows he's going to be king. But the current king doesn't know he's supposed to be king, and he's working for the current king, right? That's a little bit ironic, don't you think? 
And so here's the deal. You've got, you've got David. He knows he's been pegged for something great. You ever feel like this? You ever feel like God has really geared you up, pegged you for something important, and you sort of sense in your heart that God's going to do something great with you, but God hasn't yet given you the title to do that? You know, you don't yet have the title. You don't have the position. You don't have the letters on your business card that say you're qualified to do this, right? And isn't it interesting that sometimes God sends us those biggest challenges that we'll ever face while we're still lacking the title. Because David had not yet become king. He doesn't have the title yet. And yet, God sends him possibly the biggest challenge he will ever face in his lifetime before he actually has the position. So what do you do with that? I mean, you ever feel like that? You're like, God, I would be able to handle this if I'd just gotten a few years more down the road, you know? Or if I was making a little more money, God, I'd be able to handle this. Or if I, if I had that promotion, I'd be able to handle this. But isn't it interesting that God challenges us at those moments when he knows that we're going to be there, but we're not there yet? We'll come back to that. So let's read here what happens. Remember, David is, David is not yet king. He's doing this part-time armor bearer slash musician gig. And he goes and he checks out what's going on. And now, first, I want to give you a little, little frame here of what was happening before David even gets to the field here. First Samuel 17, we're starting in verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul, who is the current king. Choose one man to come down here and fight me, and if he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, Goliath was over nine feet tall. By, by, the, by the best Bible scholar estimates who are good at, you know, looking at weights and measures, they believe that Goliath was right in the range of nine foot nine inches tall, right? So um, I, I haven't verified this yet with a tape measure, but, but somebody whose opinion I trust told me that nine foot nine inches is roughly where these snowshoes are, right? Now, I'm 6'3", right? I don't feel good about tackling that. If, if there's a guy that's that tall, right, and, and Goliath's shoulder's probably not too much more narrow than those garlands there, I, I, I can understand why these guys were a little bit intimidated by this. I mean, this is, a, this is a big guy, right? But this was a very important moment. And the thing about life is, life tends to separate champions from losers at moments of destiny. And this was, a, this was a moment of destiny. See, Saul, the current king, he should have taken care of business. The Bible tells us he was taller than anybody else in Israel. He was, he, he was a fighting man. He was a strong man. If anybody should have been out there taking care of business, it should have been Saul. And it was his job to do that. He was the current king. He should have been out there taking care of business. But instead, Saul was with his guys, cowering in the shadows. I mean, the thing about it is, it's like every time Goliath came out, it's like tornado sirens going off in Wichita. Everybody ran for their basements and waited for the thing to blow over, right? That's exactly, they're waiting for Goliath to just leave, you know? 40 days they've been doing this. 40 days, Goliath comes out and, and screams and yells at him. They're just like, let's wait until he leaves. This is where David enters the picture. First Samuel 17, starting verse 19. 
David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left his sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with gifts as Jesse had directed him. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. How's that for a New Year's gift? Right? Here's your W-2, you're exempted. Right? The Bible says every time this guy came out, when David saw this, David was there to watch all of Israel's army run away when Goliath came out. Now, I don't know about you, Running away doesn't sound to me like standard operating procedure of any real military force, right? This isn't, this isn't even a graceful retreat. This is just a full-on run, right? And I don't know if you've ever been in this position, but have you ever felt like you're missing something everybody else knows? I just got to think, David was thinking this. I mean, David's standing there going, what do, I, what do I not get that all these guys get who are running away? I mean, here's this guy, you know, he's, he's tr- treating us like trash out here, ta- you know, talking to us, telling us, you know, taunting us, trying to get somebody to go out there and fight him. After all, we're an army, we fight. Hello, anybody going to stand around here and fight this guy? It's like everybody else knows something he doesn't know. I think it's this moment that David has to make a choice. It's at this moment that we have to make a choice because, see, you're going to face challenges in life where everybody around you is going to run away. And you're going to have that feeling. You're going to be like, does somebody here know something I don't know? Isn't this something I'm supposed to take on? Isn't this something I'm supposed to do? Aren't I, aren't, isn't this what God has placed me here to do? Am I not supposed to take on this challenge? But everybody around you is going to be running away and hiding. You're going to think, what do I not know that everybody else around here knows? And it is that moment that you're going to have to make a choice whether to fade into average or to step out. See, there would have been no shame in David backing off. Everybody else did. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's, for, a lot of, for, for, for a lot of us, we, we, could, we could walk away from our marriage with the feeling that there's no shame in leaving this marriage because lots of people do. Lots of people, when the going gets tough in their marriage, they walk away. That's really, there's really no shame in that. I, I can do that. But the thing about it is when everybody else walks away, you're going to have a choice. Am I going to just fade into average or am I going to step out and be extraordinary through God? And so David's just a teenager. He's got peach fuzz on his cheek. He's not, he's, he's, he's not a guy that you would look at and go, there's a superhero right there. He's a, he's a guy that you would say, okay, you know, uh, um, what junior high school do you go to? You know, I mean, he, he just looked like an ordinary kid. But he wasn't about to fade into average. He starts asking questions nobody else was asking. Verse 26, David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David starts asking questions. And he starts making a ruckus because people know he's asking questions, right? In the meantime, Saul's in his war room going through the list of possible options. You know? Did you ever face a situation in life where you got no answers and so you just start coming up with stupid ones? Now, this isn't in the Bible, but I kind of wonder exactly what was Saul's game plan at this point. You know, 40 days, they've been, they've, they've been just hunkering down in the shadows. What exactly was Saul thinking? Let's just keep waiting this out. Maybe he'll go away. You know, if we wait long enough, maybe one of our guys will grow 10 feet tall. You know? 
Maybe a low-flying bird will take him out. I don't know. Think about this. Saul's guys hear David talking talking about what happens to the person that will take this giant out. Saul's guys go and tell Saul that somebody's asking about it, and Saul has him brought in. Now think about this. Think about how weak the leadership had to be to bring this teenage kid in as a potential source of an answer to the problem. Do you remember what happens if Goliath kills the challenger? They all become the servants of of the other guys. You know what that kind of leads me to believe? The fact that they hauled this teenage kid in as a potential answer kind of leads me to believe that they had already conceded that they were going to lose no matter what. And if somebody was going to have to die, it might as well be this kid. Oh, life will hand you situations like that. You'll be in a situation where everybody around you has already conceded defeat. They've already decided that this thing is going down. And if anybody's going to take the fall, it might as well be you and not them. And the thing about it is, David's not even worried a little bit about that. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Now, does that strike you as odd? I mean, here's this kid, and he's saying, you know, I really just, I don't want you to be worried about this guy, because I'll, I'll go take him on. It's not a big deal. At the beginning of a new year, when I'm trying to think about how am I going to take on challenges, how am I going to face difficult things in my life, I want to know what this teenager gets that I don't get, because apparently he does. Apparently he understands something I don't understand, because he doesn't seem very afraid to walk in and say, I'm willing to take care of business here. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to give you what I, what I studied in this story, four steps to handling a situation like this. Here's the first one, and I'm going to have to run through these quickly. First step to, to facing a challenge um, that's bigger than you, gut check time. Determine ahead of time what you're willing to fight for. Look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, what's in it for the man that kills this Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honor? Now look at what David is talking about as the most important thing here. Who does he think he is anyway? This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God alive. He's saying, who, who does this guy think he is that he can come out here and try to, try to talk, talk, talk trash to God? You know, that's, that's not, and then look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 29. It's a slightly different translation. And David said, what have I done now? He's talking to his brother because his brother's trying to say, look, just, you know, this is not your, this is not your problem. And he says, is there not a cause See, here's the the thing. David had decided earlier on in his life that he was going to fight for God, whatever that meant. And so whenever he found a time when anybody was challenging God, he was going to be in on that fight. See, the thing about it is, Goliath was 9 foot 9, but it didn't much matter. Goliath could have been 12 foot tall, and David would have still been in. He would have still been game. You see, the size of the the opponent didn't much matter because the thing was, he was already resigned that he was going to fight for this cause. Anytime this cause came up, he was there to fight for it. He sure wasn't fighting for Saul. He wasn't fighting for the guys crouching in the shadows. He was fighting for God, and he felt like that was the cause big enough to fight for. But he had to make that decision ahead of time. See, that's the problem with the guys cowering in the shadows. They didn't know what they were fighting for. I'm afraid that's been me too much of my life. I'm just not exactly sure what cause I'm fighting for. No wonder we're confused when we go at, go at it that way. Because there's three questions about any challenge. We're going to have to answer three questions. And the moment you know what you're fighting for, you'll have the answer to all three of these questions. I've got to run through these really quickly. The first question is this. Where do I get my instructions? If you know what you're fighting for, if you know who you're fighting for, you know where to get your instructions. Right? 
and, and there, there's probably uh, uh, quite a few U.S. military uh, folks in the room this morning, and I think they could probably all vouch for us that if you're fighting for the U.S. military, the U.S. military will give you your instructions, yes? Whoever it is that you're fighting for, they will be the ones whose instructions that you follow, right? And the thing about it is, so many of us are so confused sometimes about who it is that we're fighting for that we're listening to all sorts of instructions and we don't know whose instructions to follow. We're in the middle of a big challenge and we got all these voices in our head and all these different things coming at us and people saying, you should treat it this way and you should treat it that way and we don't know who to follow. And see, the fastest way to get nowhere in life is to swim in the mess of mixed up conflicting instructions. Knowing who you're fighting for tells you who you're getting your instructions from. And the Bible tells us this clearly in Matthew 6, 24, and this isn't on the iMag, but it says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, in this particular passage, Jesus is talking about um, uh, God and money, but you can, you can put these labels on, on anything. We're talking about you try to serve two different masters, you can't do it because you'll get conflicting instructions, and you'll be standing around in the middle of the battle, not knowing where to turn and who to, where to run and who to fight because you won't have any idea whose instructions to follow. Here's the second one. The first one is I'm going to know where to get my instructions. The second one is this. I'll know what resources I can draw from, right? I've always really liked Philippians 4.19. It's a favorite verse of mine. And it says this, and in the NLT it says this, and this same God, this is Paul speaking, who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I learned it in the King James. It says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful verse. It's very nice to apply as a blanket verse and just talk about God meeting our needs, but it wasn't written that way. When, when, when Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi, this was a church that was really under fire. This was a church where people, the, the, the people in the church at Philippi had made a choice in their life. They weren't going to do this Roman cult religion worship that the Romans were trying to force down their throat. Everybody else was doing it, but they were the ones who decided they were going to step out of average. They weren't going to fade into average. They were going to stand out, and they were going to stand up for what they believed in. And not only were they following God, they were supporting their pastor financially who had already moved on to go work in other churches. See, these people had decided who they were fighting for. And Paul said, you know what? You guys, you guys have picked who you're fighting for and that's gonna determine where your resources are coming from. Look what he says. My God will supply all your needs. He's saying, look, here's the deal. Once you decide who you're fighting for, that determines whose supply closet you pull from. If you, if you serve the U.S. military, you understand there was a day when you received standard issue equipment because since you're fighting for them, they supply equipment for you. It's a pretty simple concept actually and that's the way it works with God the moment that you decide you're fighting for him you have his resources to draw from and the problem with me is that too often I fight for me and you know what when I fight for Jonathan I have Jonathan's resources to draw from and that's not very much but when I fight for God, I have God's resources to draw from. And it's not just about being able to go to his supply closet. It's bigger than that. Whoever you fight for, that is the person you can use to call for backup. When I was a teenager, I used to love watching the uh, police drama shows. And I always loved how at some point, in the, you know, when the policeman's outnumbered by all these people, he would call for backup and four helicopters would show up and 25, you know, police cruisers would show up. And, because that policeman is connected to a network of support. And when he calls for backup, it's there. And what God has so showed us in the Bible is when we fight for God, God can call in backup. And there's a story, and I don't, have, I don't have time to read it to you this morning, but there's a story in the Bible of a prophet called Elisha. 
And Elisha was, was God's man for God's time. He was, he, was, he was sort of like the pastor of the day. He was the prophet. God would give him messages, and he would give messages to the people. Israel was up against a massive opposing army. They were way outnumbered. But God would, find, God would tell the pastor what the game plan was for the opposing army. And the pastor would tell the, Israel's army what the other army was going to do. And they'd keep getting victory. So one day, the king of this big opposing army finds out that the pastor is the one who's leaking all this military information, right? So it's no big deal, right? The whole huge opposing army goes, after one, goes gunning for one preacher, right? And, and Elisha's servant gets up and he looks out there and he sees the entire opposing army coming for them. And he, he says to Elisha, what are we gonna do? And Elisha prays and he says, God, open, open my servant's eyes. And when he does, Elisha's servant sees that they are surrounded by chariots and soldiers of fire, the Bible says. See, the thing is, God can send him back up. That's not a problem. If, if you're stuck and, and you got nowhere to turn, God can send him back up. But the thing is, it's all about who are you fighting for. See, I, don't have, I can't send myself very much back up. I'm, I'm just about all I've got. But God's got infinite resources. I've got to move quickly. The third thing is this. I told you three questions. The third question is this. It answers the question of who you'll be standing with when the whole thing's over. Right? If you're fighting for God... That's going to that's gonna determine that you're going to be standing with God when the whole thing's over. Have you ever looked at pictures of the Appomattox surrender at the Appomattox courthouse? You know, on, on the one side, you have all these guys in, in, in blue union uniforms, and on the other side, you've got all these guys in the gray uh, uniforms. And, and what you have is you have the end result of a battle. And these guys didn't know when they signed up to fight which side would win. But who they signed up to fight with in the beginning was what decided where they were standing in that Appomattox photo or the Appomattox drawing, right? And it's just the same with us. When we decide who we're going to stand, when we decide who we're going to fight for, it determines who we're going to be standing with when everything's over. And our Bible says that in, at one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And all I'm saying is I want to be on his side of the room. There's one thing I need to let you know quickly if, if you decide to fight for God, you're going to need to be ready to shut out some negative voices. I want to read to you out of 1 Samuel 17, starting verse 28. Eliab, David's older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. Now, Eliab's not known for much. We know he was taller than David, he was older than David, and we know that he was a discourager. Sometimes that's all you need to know. There are going to be people out there like Eliab who are afraid to do what you are willing to do, and in order to save face, they will try to discourage you by telling you your motives are not pure. That's what happened with Eliab. He didn't want to go out there and take care of business. He wasn't about to go fight Goliath, but his younger brother was getting ready to show him up, and he was going to lose face. So the fastest thing he could think to do was to tell David that his motives weren't pure. That's a huge insult because our motives are the fabric of who we are as a human being. So you just need to know, somebody's going to question your motives, and you need to walk on by. In the love of God, you're going to shut that person's voice out because the thing about it is, they, they're trying to keep you back because of their hang-ups, not yours. You just keep on walking. Right? But there's another thing you're going to, another hurdle. 1 Samuel 17, verse 31. The things David were saying were picked up and reported to Saul. Saul sent for him. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. See, if, 
if people don't question your motives, they'll question your qualifications. See, an, an ill-intentioned person, a, a discourager, they'll question your motives. A well-intentioned person, a person who really does want the best for you, they will question your qualifications. They don't want you to get hurt. They don't want you to, they, 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 they don't want to see you um, uh, uh, be taken down by this challenge. But the thing about it is only you and God know what you're qualified for. There will always be people around to tell you you can't do something. No matter what you're doing in life, walk away moments will come daily, at least. But this wasn't going to be a walking away moment for David. Quickly, I need to move to the second thing. The first thing is, you're gonna, it's going to be a gut check moment. You're going to decide what you're going to fight for. The second thing is this. Don't be intimidated by the size of the problem, because God uses a different size and grid. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 4. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore, now look at this. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed at 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And the shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, and his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Now quickly, because I don't have much time, but I want to share this with you. We're talking about a guy who's not just tall, right? This is a guaranteed first-round draft pick for sure, right? I mean, I, I, I can relate to this measure of weight. Hopefully you can. I'm, I'm, an, I'm addicted to Coca-Cola, right? So, every, you know, all, all the time I go to the store and I get these big 24-packs of Coke. And they're not light, if you ever noticed that. They're, they're kind of heavy. When you have to lift them up for the lady so she can beep them with the beeper at Walmart, you know, and you put them back down, they're not, they're, they're not, they're heavy. Think about this. If you were to put your arms out, right? and I put six of those 24 packs of Coke on your arms. Think about carrying that weight all day long. That's just one piece of this guy's armor, one piece. On top of that, he's, carrying, he's got a bronze helmet, he's got a bronze javelin, he's got a spear with a 15 pound tip, he's wearing bronze leg armor, how would you like that for jogging weights, right? I mean, this guy is, with every step, he's probably carrying somewhere between 225 and 250 pounds, and that's a light estimate. Think about what it would be like to have a 250-pound person sit on your shoulders and you carry that around all day long. This is what Goliath was doing. He was carrying that much weight all day long. This was a big guy, and it would have made sense to walk away from somebody like that because, after all, David was a small guy. And the thing is, sometimes I try to educate God, and I try to tell God, you don't understand. This problem is huge, and I'm really small, and I'm really mismatched to this problem. You, 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 somehow in the shuffle, God, you gave me the wrong challenge because this challenge is way too big for me. But see, the question is not whether Goliath was bigger than David. The question is whether God was bigger than Goliath. This was a real question of faith, a moment of faith for David that would shape the rest of his life. When he would become king of Israel, this moment would be something that he would come back to over and over in his life because what God is asking David, when David faces Goliath, is God is asking David, do you trust me? You and I are going to go through challenges in our life, and it's going to seem like it's a mismatch. It's going to seem like it's way too big for us. And God is coming to you, and he's saying, I just have one question for you, and that is, do you trust me? See, God's not afraid of Jericho walls, fiery furnaces, or massive opposing armies. Those things are small potatoes to him. Think about this. Think about this. Think about if you were going to talk to Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a philanthropist now, or so I hear, so, so maybe, this would, maybe this would work, you know? Maybe Bill Gates would say to you, I want to take care of the biggest problem you have in life. Whatever your biggest worry, your biggest concern, your biggest problem is, I just want to take care of it for you. So tell me what your biggest problem is. And you say, you know, I just don't think you can help me with it. 
You know, I mean, I, I, I owe $80,000, you know, and that's, I just can't imagine, you know, $80,000, that's a huge amount, you know, Mr. Gates, I, I just can't imagine you would ever be able to take care of something like that, because I would never be able to do that. Bill Gates is going to sit back in his chair and laugh and say, is that all? $80,000, that's really your biggest problem? That's your biggest problem? That's not a big deal to me. See, sometimes we come to God and we say, God, you don't understand. You, I, I, I can't even imagine how you're going to help me work this problem out. This problem is so big. It's so big, I can't even get my arms around it. And God sits back in his chair and says, is that it? Because that's not a big deal. That's, that's something I can take care of. God uses a different sizing grid. Third thing is this. You want to listen to wise advice, but you want to remain true to your gifts package. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 38, it says this. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again, and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. It may look crazy, but there's something that makes a whole lot of sense going on here. See, the thing about it is, when you go through a challenge, there are going to be people in your life who are well-intentioned people, they're going to have your best interest in mind, and they're going to tell you how to take on this challenge the way they would do it. See, Saul is telling David, here's how I would do this, right? Here, put my armor on, and that because I sure wouldn't go out there and fight this guy without my armor on. And you're going to go tell somebody about what you're going through in your marriage or what you're going through in your job or what it is that you're facing. And they're going to tell you and they, they're going to love you and they're going to, they're going to have your best interest at heart and they're going to tell you how they would fight that situation. But the thing about it is they don't know how God has trained you. They don't know what God's gift package is in you. Only you know that. So listen to what they have to say. Try it on for size. But if it doesn't fit, take it off and stay true to what God has gifted you with. See, the thing about it is God had been training David. He had been giving David gifts. He had, he had been getting him ready to handle this challenge. God doesn't just throw us in the middle of a challenge without preparing us. He had been preparing David. And here's, here, here's the thing, and, and I, I think this is really, really interesting to, to think about. If, 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 well, let me just read this to you. 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. This is when David is talking to Saul. David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock... I go after it with a club. Now, I've been to the zoo, and I've seen the lions and the bears, and they're fun to look at, but I don't want to get in a boxing ring and go three rounds with any of them, you know. This is a guy who God had given him the ability to go after lions and bears, and then look what he says. I, I, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth, and if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Look at that. The Lord who rescued me will rescue me again. He's saying, look, God's been training me. God's been training me. I, I know that I, in those moments when I absolutely needed rescue, God has rescued me before, and he'll rescue me now. And here's what's interesting and important for us to know. And if you only get one thing this morning, I want you to get this. David's brothers and his father and everybody who was around him thought that he was in a dead-end, low-level, unimportant job out there watching those sheep. And the thing about it is, 
That may be partially true, but the thing about it is David was not a product of the sheepfold. David would always be a product of what God taught him when he was in the sheepfold. And that's the thing. You might think right now that where you're at in life, you may feel like you're in a dead-end, low-level situation, that nobody appreciates you, and that there is no level, there's no chance for advancement, and you're stuck where you're at. But pay attention in these moments because you'll not be a product of where you're at right now. You'll be a product of what God teaches you while you're at where you're at right now so that when you face a massive challenge you can go back to what God has taught you when you've been going through smaller challenges and you can take it to that large challenge and when God has rescued you in the past you can go to this new challenge with confidence because you'll know God will rescue you now and that's how David faced this challenge See, God, te- God trains people in strange places. God trained David to kill a giant while he was watching sheep. God trained Daniel and his friends to walk into fiery furnaces and, and handle lion's dens when they had been taken by, as captives from their families. God trained Joseph to keep a country alive during the Great Depression when he was in jail for a crime he didn't commit. It doesn't matter where you're at today because God can train you just about anywhere. Only he knew how God had gifted him, and he was staying true to that gifts package. I only have a couple minutes left, but I want to give you the fourth step quickly. Fourth step is this. You're going to have to step outside the safety zone and take care of business. See, that's the thing, and that's probably the biggest challenge I have, is that there have been a lot of challenges in my life that I've been dragged kicking and screaming into. Instead of standing up and walking in and facing the challenge head on with confidence. See, what the Bible tells us is that there's, there's no reason for us to be dragged kicking and screaming into a challenge because God is there with us, and if we're fighting for him, he is, he is there with us. We, we can run to meet that challenge. And here's what the Bible says. Because See, here's the thing. This story with David and Goliath turned out incredibly. I mean, here you got Goliath comes out. David faces him, and the Bible says when Goliath squares off to David, David literally runs at Goliath, takes his little homemade slingshot, and, 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 and flings a smooth rock at Goliath's head, and it burrows into the middle of his forehead. Goliath stumbles and falls forward, and David grows, goes and grabs his sword and cuts his head off. That's, that's, that's a good day if you're trying to take this guy out, right? But the thing about it is, the Bible says David ran to meet Goliath. How could David do that? Well, because he intended to take care of business. He believed God was with him, and he was ready to just do it. And for some of us in life, it's time for us to, to trust that God is with us and just get out there and just do it. Go face that challenge. Go run into that challenge because God's going to be with you. But quickly... In the last couple moments I want to spend with you, I need to answer a question. Just to be academically honest, there might be somebody in this room who would say, you know what, Jonathan, I've got to be honest with you. I've listened to what you've said, but I have a logical problem with it because I'm facing a problem in my life that I know it's likely I will lose in this situation. You know, maybe you say, my challenge for 2012 is I've just been diagnosed with cancer, and I know it's very likely that I won't, I won't make it this year. And even no matter, no matter what I do, there's a high likelihood that I will lose this battle. Can I tell you, with, 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 with the, the deepest words I know to express this, whether you win or lose this battle does not get determined on earth. Whether you, whether you leave this challenge with success or failure doesn't get determined here. The thing about it is, God, God may choose to give you victory over this immediate situation the way you immediately feel like you need to have it now. He may choose to do that. But then again, he may choose to give you victory over it in a, in a way that you can't see right now. 
The Bible tells us in Hebrews about all these people who had faith in God and how God had brought about the promise that he had promised them. But for many of them, the Bible says in Hebrews, for many of them, they died still not having seen the full fulfillment of the promise God had given them. And the Bible says the reason that happened was because God had something better in mind. Can I tell you something? You may have a real feeling that you have a bead on what the solution to your problem looks like. You might say, Jonathan, if if I walked out to my mailbox tomorrow and there was $3,000 in my mailbox, that would be the solution to my problem. And that might be a really great solution, but God might have something better in mind. You might say, Jonathan, if God would heal me of what it is that I'm going through right now, that would be the solution to my problem. And that might be a great solution, but it's possible God might have something better in mind. Let me read this verse to you out of Galatians, and then we'll be done. Galatians 6, 9 says this, so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if what? If we don't give up. See, here's the thing. Only God knows when just the right time is. See, here's the thing. My time with God, my time on earth is about this much of my time with God. The Bible says when, when I leave this earth, I'm going to spend eternity with God. So my time with God is, is like this, and my time on earth is like this. And it could be that for, for me, the just the right time that I will reap a harvest of blessing may not even be while I'm on this earth. But the thing about it is I have God's promise that if I'm fighting for him, I'll reap a harvest of blessing if I don't give up. My challenge to you in 2012 is don't give up. Know who it is you're fighting for. Don't underestimate God's gift in you. Make sure you stay true to your gifts and and don't, don't let the size of the problem concern you. Just get in there and take care of business because you've got God on your side. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being with us when we face major challenges. Father, I just right now wanna pray for everyone in this room because Father, there's not one of us who won't face a challenge in 2012 and I just pray, Father, that you would give us peace and grace and the ability to stand firm and handle that challenge, Father, and that you would give us victory. Father, we love you. Would you mind keeping your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a second because I'm well aware that it's possible that somewhere in this room there might be somebody who would say, you know, I'm, I'm going into this new year but I still don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And and I would like to make this the day that I start a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanna have a new relationship with him on the beginning of this new year. How would I do that? Well, here's the thing. God's already done all the doing. All he's waiting for from you is a big yes. So I'm gonna say a really quick prayer. You can say these words silently in your heart to God, and if you do, it'll be settled and you will have that relationship. Ready? Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I do wrong things. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today, I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus.